Hey everybody, it's Brother Billy. I am sitting in my car right after services this morning. It's a warm June day, and I thought I'd just check in and give you an update on the state of this podcast and and what we've been doing in our ministry for the last 15-something months since the last episode. And you know, a year and a half absence is a death sentence for a lot of podcasts. Uh, It's not something you typically see is, is that long of a break between episodes. But as you also probably know, the last... 15 months have been anything but normal. When our churches had to suddenly close last March, we moved over to uh, Facebook Live. We started streaming our services, and in the beginning, just me talking uh, for the first few months. And if you want to go back and listen and watch all of those messages that we've been recording since COVID began, they are available right now, facebook.com slash Brownstown Community Church. Brownstown Community Church Facebook page is where you can find all the video sermons that I've been doing for the last year and a half. I thoroughly encourage you to go and look and watch those as well. But now that things are returning to our big air quotes here, new normal, I will be returning to our podcasting format for future episodes as well. I know a lot of you listeners really enjoy hearing my voice, listening to this on your drive, doing this, listening to this while you do your chores around the house. That's one of the great benefits I love about podcasts. And so we're coming back to you now in June of 2021 for this next episode. That being said, you are jumping in halfway through our character study. For the last 24 weeks since January began, we started with Adam and started studying our characters of the Bible week after week after week. So if you feel like you're missing out, go back and watch those Facebook Live videos on Brownstown Community Church's Facebook page. However, starting today with this every episode, we are beginning a six-week study of Jesus, of the nature of Jesus, of his divinity and his manliness, or his humanity rather. It's going to be an amazing way to restart this podcast and get us back up and going. It's six straight Sundays of learning about Jesus Christ. This next service, this next message, is about the prophecies that he fulfilled. And so I encourage you once again, as I do every time, to share this podcast with others, to like and subscribe it, to rate it if you have a platform available to you to do so. Uh, word of mouth is how this podcast can grow. It's how we can get things back up and going. And so if you're excited to hear a new episode of the Hatridge Sermons podcast, I will shut up now and uh, jump right into our message. Thank you all. Thank you all for hanging out and sticking with us. And God bless. There is a God. He loves you, and He has handcrafted you for a marvelous purpose. I'm Brother Billy Hatridge, and thank you for listening to the Hatridge Sermons. A few years ago, I was at the bookstore, and I came across this book that looked really interesting. It was a detective novel, and the plot sounded intriguing, and so I bought it and brought it home. And, you know, I got about a chapter or two in, and I was able to follow along with the plot. The plot introduced itself, you know, in chapter two. But there were all these characters and all of this subtext that 
I was lost on it. Like, do I am I supposed to know who these people are? There are these established relationships, and so I got online, looked up, and turns out it was book seven of a twenty series, you know, book t- series, and I was completely lost. Which a lot of times those little detective novels, you know, you can follow the plot from point A to the end within that one book, but to fully understand the character development and the settings and all these side characters, you really need to start with book one and read through the series. But, you know, I mention that because that's kind of what the gospel is, the four books of the gospels. You can read the gospels by themselves. You can hand the book of John to anybody, and they can understand that that Jesus was born, the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, and, and understand the plot within the gospel. But they completely lose all the context, all the nuances of the scripture and how important it truly was. We've studied, up to this point, 24 individuals, since we started this the first week of January. 24 characters of our Bible. And each and every one of them was building up to this moment. Each and every one of them was building up to the Messiah. And I'm not just saying that just to be saying that, but that was the whole reason for everything. Every book that we have in this Bible, the King James Bible that we have today, Every book included, every line of poetry, every prophecy is included because it builds up and illustrates the reason for Christ. In fact, when Matthew began putting together his gospel, he relied on what was called the Septuagint. I practiced this three times. The Septuagint. The Septuagint was a, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Matthew spoke Greek, though most of the New Testament was written in Greek. He wasn't going to Jerusalem and pulling up old Hebrew scrolls. No, he was reading through Greek translation of some of these ancient texts. And so when we see in the books of the Gospels and in the writings of Paul, when they reference Scripture like Isaiah, they are quite often pulling from not Isaiah in its Hebrew version, but the Greek uh, equivalent. Because what they are doing, and this is one thing we need to understand about the Gospels, especially the Gospels, the four books that that start out the New Testament, these aren't stories, these aren't fiction, these aren't written in such a way to to be kind of a, a nice little beginning and end storytelling book. The research papers, their thesis articles. They are in-depth research about the man, Jesus of Nazareth, about who he was, about all these other prophecies, all these other writers, all of these things, and they bring all that in together for the Gospels. And they say, this is what we know, this is what the Scripture says, this is what so-and-so says, because we know that the Gospel writers pulled a lot of the information that we read from eyewitness testimony. Most biblical scholars point to the Virgin Mary as the source for most of the Gospels because she was there and present for so much of it. And so as we begin our study of Jesus, as we begin digging in deep for six weeks, we are going to start off with the fact that He was the prophecy fulfilled. That everything that he did, that everything that he was, that the smallest nuances of his behavior and his decisions helped to fulfill the prophecy. 
Now, I said we're going in-depth. We can go even more in-depth than we are because we could spend a whole year just going prophecy by prophecy by prophecy, and I'm going to try to compile it all into one 20-minute sermon for you this morning, maybe a little longer. But, but what we're getting at here is the fact that he wasn't this, this dude that randomly showed up and claimed to be the Messiah and then had these, these magic powers and moments. People were like, oh, maybe he is. No, he came, and his very existence confirmed writings a thousand years prior to his own life. These were things that people sat on and studied for centuries, and then Jesus showed up and began to fulfill them. And so as I was getting my sermon ready, I was trying to figure out what elements of the prophecy to talk about this morning. What elements of Jesus, what what elements of, of who he was and what he was fulfilling were important to us as Christians. And I decided to start with day one, right, with the nativity story. With the prophecies that were simply fulfilled by him being brought into this earth. Because we're going to have chances for the next five weeks, five Sundays, to talk about all these other little events that fulfilled prophecy also. But for this morning, we are going to start that Christmas day. Jesus is brought into this world, and why is all of that relevant, and why is all of that important? The first comes to us from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And if you like to flip along in your Bibles with me and try to keep up, I want you to know that during these next six weeks, there's going to be a lot more Scripture than I usually preach from. These aren't going to be situations where I read one passage and then talk about it for the the session. We are going to be in a lot of different books. And so if you want to follow along at home, luckily we have these wonderful character study books, and we're uh, pulling directly from those. But Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God with us. There it is in Isaiah 700 years ago. 700 years prior to Christ is Isaiah writing this thing about the coming Messiah being born of a virgin and that his name will be called Emmanuel. Fast forward all those centuries to the, the angel Gabriel telling Mary that you shall call his name Emmanuel, that he is being born of a virgin birth. Traditionally, to understand the full context of this, when a, a boy and a girl are anywhere between 12 to 14 years old, their families decide that they are going to get married as a binding agreement between two families. And that then they go into an engagement period, which is called being betrothed. That's what we see within the scripture. And they can spend months, if not years, in that legal state saying, we're not dating anybody, we're not seeing anybody else. When we come of age or when we get financially stable enough or whatever it is, the, the context there, then we will be formally married and then we will begin having children and starting a family. And so it's that betrothal state where we see Mary and Joseph, right? They're still virgins. They have not consummated a marriage. They're not legally bound yet. They have not yet entered into a a formal marriage. But for all sakes and intents and purposes of the Hebrew culture, they were together. And that's when Mary comes of child, the divine conception. And the reason that that is so important is because not only is Jesus both God and man, but he is indeed born of the virgin as a first sign of who he is. Secondly, 
He's born in Bethlehem. We know that, right? If, if, you, if you ask anybody anywhere in the world about Jesus Christ, most of their knowledge comes from the nativity story because Christmas is the most celebrated Christian holiday around the world. And so all of those little elements, they seep into the knowledge of people who might not even be remotely aware of the scripture, but they know of Jesus in the manger being surrounded by the farm animals, right? He was born in Bethlehem. Why were they born in Bethlehem? Because they were on a, a government mission. It was a census. They had to go and get a head count. That's it. Just a mundane, going down to the DMV to renew my license kind of moment, right? They're just going into town to do this thing that's required of them by law. But we're going to see in Micah chapter 5, that there are no coincidences in Jesus' life. There are no random moments in Jesus' existence. Everything is here for a reason. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, another of the prophecies. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. So Micah, he's quoting the Lord here, right? He's quoting God. He's relaying the, the prophecy to the people. And he's saying, you know, Bethlehem, you're just this small rural country town. But I've got big plans for you. Great plans for you. Big things are going to happen because of who you are. Because Bethlehem, it's not just the town that Jesus was born in, right? We first see Bethlehem mentioned when Jacob buries his wife Rachel. He buries her there in Bethlehem. Furthermore, the story of Ruth, which again, when we talked about her, it seems like such an interesting book to be included in the scriptures because it doesn't relate to anything else and, it, and it's kind of offset from the way all the other books are written. It looks out of place is what I'm getting at here. But even Ruth meets Boaz in the fields of Bethlehem. And then, of course, we have one of the most important moments in our Old Testament, little shepherd David, growing up, tending the sheep in the fields of Bethlehem. Grew up in Bethlehem. It's from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Bethlehem. It's showing up over and over and over and over in the Scriptures. It's this, this spiritual nexus in which God is so at work and doing so many things. And it's wild to me that these things aren't happening in Jerusalem. Right? If you were to ask any Christian what city was the most important for the Hebrew people, it's Jerusalem. And yet Bethlehem seems to be God's focus when it comes to the really big moments in history. He goes back to little old Bethlehem. Because God wants us to know and understand that he is at work by himself. He doesn't need big palaces. He doesn't need lots of money. He doesn't need all these things. He can pull the king of the world from a little town of Bethlehem. The humility that Christ walked with was contrasted to everything the people expected of the king of the Jews. We know there are several other key prophecies about Jesus. The first is that there was that prophetic forerunners that people were going to prophesy about his coming. Not only that, but we have John the Baptist who was born just a few short months before Jesus, who was served as a, a herald of his arrival, who went out into the world before Jesus began his ministry to preach about the coming Messiah, knowing who he was. We also know that the family, one of the other prophecies, that they, they fled to Egypt 
to escape King Herod, who was putting to death the babies in the area because he was so afraid of this possible um, threat to his rule. The new king had been born, and that terrified him to the point where he went out and was killing anybody that might have been a threat, even though he passes long before Jesus comes of age to ever have been a threat in the first place. And even to set you even more... um, to paint the picture even more broadly, we talked about this last December when we were doing our Christmas sermons, but, but Herod the Great, the king of the time when Jesus was born, he was friends with folks like Mark Anthony and Cleopatra and, all, and Alexander the Great. All of that was happening throughout the Mediterranean area when Jesus was being born into this world. You watch that the old movie uh, was it Cleopatra with Elizabeth Taylor? I think it was Elizabeth Taylor. All all of those things were happening just a few decades prior to Jesus' birth there in a little farm stable in Bethlehem. I've got so many tabs in my Bible, I'm having trouble figuring out which page I'm turning to next. Psalms, chapter seventy-two. <clears throat> Psalm 72, verse 8, it says, May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all the kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. It's talking, of course, about the idea that Jesus is going to be king of the world, that he is going to be ruler of the nations, that that the entire world is going to recognize him as the full and complete spiritual authority. Get back to our Christmas story, our nativity scene. It always, I get it, I do, but it's a little pet peeve of mine when I see the nativity scene and the three wise men are there the night that he was born, because you know they show up a little bit later after he was born. But but you know that picture, right? When you picture the nativity, you see it in your head. The shepherds, the the wise men, Mary and Joseph, the newborn baby, all of those things, all in one place. But here we go. Psalm seventy-two relates directly to these three wise men showing up, looking for the new king, looking for the Messiah. And they come to us from the the Near East, from the Eastern area, from Asia. Now, just like Matthew, when he was putting together his gospel, was looking into the Greek translations of the prophecy, was looking into all these different versions that was available to him where he was, so too had these same books, had these same prophecies and messages been translated and sent out into the East. Okay, the idea of the King James Bible was not the first time in the world that these spiritual writings had been shared, had been sent out. These Eastern wise men, or kings, depending on your translations, they probably had some of these prophecies. They probably had versions of Isaiah. We don't know for sure. We don't have any knowledge of how they came across the knowledge other than God showing them the way. But there's a very good chance that they had elements of our Old Testament Scripture, that they had heard these things and written these things. 
And so these three wise men, and I'm, we're painting the picture here, we're having to uh, read between the lines and, and pull some stuff that maybe the Scripture doesn't tell us um, specifically. But they come into town, they come into Jerusalem looking for Jesus, looking for the new king. And remember, Israel was not just this little pocket nation that wasn't bothering anybody. It had been warring with every nation around. It had been called up as a holy people. There are these huge events where the sea split open for all the people to escape out of Egypt. Entire fortified cities falling down with nothing but the sound of a trumpet. People in the area knew about the Hebrews. The world's eyes were on this nation, this group of people, watching them tear themselves asunder, watching them fall into slavery and then back into their own nation. And these wise men, they show up, and we often have this picture of these, these three guys on three camels. You know, it's usually a starly, starly night behind them. They're on the desert. But, but more than likely, considering that they were kings or royalty or, or magi or whatever they might have been, that they were very influential people. They were carrying quite a bit of cash, to, to put it lightly, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These guys more than likely showed up with an entourage of guards and servants and all of these things. It was, it was more than likely a convoy of these Easterners coming in looking for the new king. And so King Herod, you know, he kind of got a little, okay, we've got these, these three very royal, very influential guys coming in telling me they're looking for a new king that I wasn't aware existed. And, and he begins, of course, to be frightened for his own sake. Are they about to lead a rebellion against me? Am I about to get kicked out of office? What, what's happening here? And he tries to one over the wise men, which was part of his downfall. But they find baby Jesus, right? They, they find him in that manger. They, they go to Bethlehem. They follow the star. And there he is. And what does the scripture tell us they do? They bow down and worship him. They bow down and worship him. Kings of the world. Fulfilling the prophecy written in Psalms. All of these things happening over and over and over again. They're all happening to prove the point that Jesus wasn't just some guy claiming to be something. That his very existence fulfilled so much. And the, one of the reasons why I mention these prophecies specifically is because for those that don't believe Jesus was the Messiah, because I want to make something very clear here about belief, about what we as Christians take on faith versus fact. Jesus of Nazareth, hands down, 100% scientific evidence across the board, he existed. Every culture around the world recognizes his writings, recognizes some of his messages. Like, this guy was flesh and blood walking on this earth. The debate is whether or not he was the Son of God. And so many of these people who want to say, no, he wasn't the Son of God, they point to some of the prophecies he fulfilled and said, well, he made it happen by studying the Scripture, studying the prophecy, and then going out into the world and making it happen. These prophecies I talked about this morning, he had no power over. He had no power over. This wasn't some con man trying to pretend to be the Messiah. Jesus couldn't help where he was born. He couldn't help what the Magi did or didn't do. All of these things I mentioned this morning, I mentioned specifically because God was ensuring that he was indeed the Messiah. Now, 
These magi, they show up into town. The new king of the Israelite people had been born. He is going to rule not just that nation, but he is going to bring the nations together. That's what the prophecy tells us. That's what Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and so many others write. They say he is going to make one world that he is going to have authority under. And so if you're a ruler or a spiritual advisor or whatever your title may have been, and you see this holy nation that has these magical powers and this huge God that's watching over them and doing all these things, you're going to kind of want to keep your ear to the ground when it comes to a one king to rule them all situation. So these three wise men, these three kings, these three magi, they, they roll into town, and I bet you they were expecting celebration in the streets. The king had been born, hallelujah, he is here, and it's crickets. Nobody seems to have a clue. Everybody's oblivious to the fact that the Messiah is born and alive in this world. And they go to the king, the very king of Israel. He's like, what? You know, like, what are you talking about? Man, everybody so just oblivious to the very presence of Jesus and what that meant for the people. Oblivious. But the wise men around the world knew it. You know, luckily God goes, gives them one last vision that says, hey, don't go back to King Herod. He's going to put you to death and they leave. But I think about that because, you know, I'll be honest, I've struggled with my faith. I'm 32 years old. There were periods where I read some things in this book and thought, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to go, you know, all in here. There's some hard stuff to wrap our minds around in the Scripture. There's some very difficult things that we as Christians, some very difficult pills for us to swallow in our faith when we read through these things. And it's hard because you can go down a wormhole of wormholes trying to understand this Scripture. I've been doing this for eight years now. I still couldn't... Maybe 5% of all the Scripture I have a grasp on. Maybe. And so when I'm talking to people who are on the fence, and I'm talking to people who want to believe but they haven't been able to pull themselves to do it because of things that the Scripture says, because of the disbelief in God making the world in seven days, or, or whatever it is that they have an issue with, I try to bring them back to Jesus. I try to bring them back to Jesus, because that's what's important. That, that's the deciding factor right there. Because if you're an agnostic, if you're an atheist, if you're a non-believer, and you want to believe in God, and you want to believe there's a power out there in the universe, for, for everything that there is, you're basically standing in front of a bookshelf with every possible religion and spirituality and saying, one of these is the right one, pick, and hope for the best. Are the Christians right? Are the Muslims right? Are the Buddhists right? Who's right? Who's got it figured out? But it comes back to Jesus. It comes back to this guy because like I've said before, over and over and over again, his writings, his teachings show up in cultures around the world. Even the Quran within the Islamic faith recognizes Jesus as a powerful prophet. Those are folks we've been at war with for 2,000 years. There are elements of Jesus' writings and teachings in, in, in Buddhism, in Hinduism. He shows up, traces of him. This, this far distant prophet in his writings and his messages. And everybody, 
every faith, every culture, more or less agrees that this man lived, that he was holy, and that his very people put him to death. And in six weeks we're going to talk about, or I guess in five weeks, we're going to talk about what sets us apart from the rest of the world. But that's it for me, because if I know 100% with certainty in the same way I know that I've got two feet and two hands, that Jesus of Nazareth was a real living person, then I have to believe in the message. Then I have to believe in these stories and these records of who He was. Then I have to believe that when I read through the, the prophecies, when I read through things like Jeremiah and Isaiah, and there's so much there, that if there's an ounce of truth, it's my duty as a believer to dig in, to figure out more and more and more. It always comes back to Jesus, folks. You can live your entire life not knowing who Jonah was or anything about Ruth or, or even be able to just completely be ignorant of David and his great accomplishments, but you cannot live your life without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we read through these prophecies. We read through the Old Testament. We go through centuries, if not thousands of years of writings from people across the Middle East. All point to this coming of the Messiah. We read through these eyewitness testimonies saying that He was born in Bethlehem, that He was born of a virgin, that He had three wise men, three kings come, bow down and worship Him. That alone, what? 10, 12 verses into the Gospels should be all the proof you need that He was indeed the Messiah. But we've got so much more digging in for the next five weeks. We've got so much more to examine, so much more to study, so much more to, 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 to contemplate about Jesus, about who He is, about how He's still alive in our life today. Because what I don't want you to do is to be like all the people in, in Israel that day that Jesus was born, and be completely oblivious to the fact that Jesus is alive and He is here. And like the wise men, we too are called down not only to serve Him, but to spread His message. That we are called, like the shepherds, to go back out into our towns and to tell them that Emmanuel has been born. That we are being called each and every day to make people understand that there is a new kingdom in this world, one more important than our nation, one more important than any collection of nations. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is ours. And the kingdom of God is what we must serve. And it is all because of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You. Lord, we thank You for the prophecies. Lord, we thank You for the Scripture. We, Lord, we thank You for all the work that, that our Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that, that they just didn't just take eyewitness testimony, Lord, but they dug into the Scriptures. They dug into what was in front of them. They, they did their research. They put together these books, Lord God, for us to study and reflect on that, that collect thousands of years of knowledge across so many nations and lands. Lord God, we thank You for the fact that, that Jesus existed that He preached, that He prophesied, that He healed, that He did miracles. And Lord God, most importantly, that He died on that cross 
as an appropriation for our sins, and that it is through His resurrection that we know that there is indeed life after death. Lord God, we thank You. And Lord, I pray each and every day this week that every soul here returns next Sunday. Lord God, as we dig in even more into Jesus, into His divinity, to understand how He can be both God and the Son of God. Lord God, I pray too that each and every soul here has the voice of Jesus on their lips, that they, they preach His message, that they preach His Word wherever they go. Lord God, we have more bodies here next Sunday than we do today. Lord, I pray each and every day that You help create a revival in our hearts and in this church. And I pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.